Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, episode 108. So when it comes to my research um, in instructional design, it basically went over the teaching pedagogies or teaching practices and methods surrounding coaching. So what can I do as an instructor to facilitate the learning process for my learners or my students or my athletes in a more efficient way? This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Eric McMahon, and today we're joined by Dr. Allison Randall, the strength and conditioning coach for Vanderbilt Women's Basketball Program. Allison earned her PhD from Virginia Tech in Instructional Design and Technology, with an emphasis on psychomotor skill instruction for athletic performance. As an athlete, she competed at nearly every level of track and field as a discus thrower, including representing Jamaica in the 2012 London Olympic Games. Allison, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on. You, uh, you're obviously, you've been a successful athlete. Uh, you're a strength and conditioning coach and you have a, uh, uh, a cool role at, at Vanderbilt, you know, leading that program and uh, just want to get to know you a little better today. So if you would uh, take us through your path from athlete to strength and conditioning coach. Sure. Um, I mean, I, I've been a lifelong athlete. I think that kind of helped to shape first and foremost, my desire to work in the field of sports in the first place. So, you know, from about, you know, eight to 18, you know, I played basketball, High school basketball, did AU a little bit um, as I kind of got to the eight, 17, 18 year old, excuse me, age range. And then that was kind of a transition to where it was like, okay, you're going to do basketball, you're going to do track, because I started track at 18 years old, which is relatively late um, for most people in the, in the sport. So at that time, you know, I made a financial decision, you know, to go ahead and pursue my career in track and field. Um, I was awarded a scholarship at Morgan State University, and that's kind of where I was introduced to weight training. You know, before that, I had no idea that it was a real, you know, job, that there was someone who was actually at each college doing this thing that was preparing you for your sport. You know, it was kind of like, you know, the Y was open, and if the Y was open, you would go to the gym or a hotel, um, weight room was there, you had a couple dumbbells, you did what you had to do, but entering college, I saw the level of investment that needed to be done in, you know, weight training. From that standpoint, it was something that I was able to more or less buy into. It was something that I was able to see the ins and outs of weight training specifically for helping me in track and field. Um, I was starting from zero. Um, so a lot of things were from the bar. A lot of things were very light dumbbells, but, you know, learning technique and learning those things were things that directly for me carried over into, you know, track and field, learning how to hold your body in positions, learning how to deliver the implement, learning how to move efficiently were things that in order for me to be a successful discus thrower, I had to learn how to do correctly, um, you know, in the weight room. College was over, it was starting to come to an end. I knew that I wanted to pursue or continue, you know, continue throwing. I didn't think I maximized my athletic potential at that point. Um, and my training partner and I, we moved to um, Blacksburg, Virginia to train for the London Olympics. At that time, you know, I was using a facility at Virginia Tech to kind of, you know, continue my career. I trained for the London Olympics. 
the year after the Olympics, I was kind of, you know, between a rock, you know, and a hard place figuring out what's next. Am I going to continue to throw? Am I continue to go to school? At that time, I finished my master's degree. And one of the things that I knew was the reason why I was able to excel and continue my career, you know, was the weight room. I didn't have a whole lot of experience. You know, I had just picked up a discus not too long ago. Um, I'm only 5'11". You know, so height wasn't in my advantage, um, but I was, I was a, I was an athlete, but I knew the day-to-day improvements that I made in the weight room was one, like hands down directly correlated to my success because I, I was literally starting from zero. Um, and then I just kind of fell in love with the process, you know, just the every day, okay, every day we're going to come in as a group, we're going to work on this thing, we're going to do what we can to make our implement go further. I was luckily, I was able to train with top caliber athletes at that time. Virginia Tech was a powerhouse in the throwing events at that time. And, you know, I had some German teammates. I had some Trinidadian teammates, some, you know, Slovakian teammates. And we all knew that every day in the weight room, we were going to do what we needed to do to be successful on, on the field. And it got really grimy and it got really aggressive in there. And it was just an environment that I really thrived off of. Um, so after that season or after that time period, you know, I got real close with Mike Gentry, you know, one of the, the pioneers in the field. Um, he was actually still at Virginia Tech at that time. And he basically was like, hey, you know, what's next? What are you going to do? You know, we saw it, sat down. I said, I don't know, could continue to throw, could kind of go into coaching, not really sure. And he was like, I think you should consider, I think you should, I think you should consider it. You know, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not telling you to kind of, you know, put all your eggs in one basket, but consider strength conditioning because I think you'd be great at it. Up until that point, I've only had two strength coaches in my life. Um, and he kind of just pushed me to kind of go in that career. And I said, you know, let me let me give it a shot. Started my graduate assistantship after a short internship um, at Virginia Tech. Just kind of fell in love with the day in and day out, fell in love with training up the athletes, fell in love with being able to, you know, push kids to the next level with this tool. And um, that's kind of just where, where it kind of all started. And from then, I just, I just couldn't just couldn't stop. Um, yeah, so I think basically that's kind of the short, I guess, short story of it all. Um, I wanted to go ahead and uh, pursue it through collegiate athletics because that's where I was an athlete. And, you know, I just, I just fell in love with it, so. That's awesome. I like that you weren't afraid to try new things. I like that it's it's great hearing that the weight room gave you a platform for success, you know, as an athlete. And now you get to relay that that message back to athletes uh, in your role. Talk about your current role at Vanderbilt. What are some of the responsibilities you have? And just how did the last uh, year go through COVID? Yeah, sure. Right now I am the strength conditioning coach for women's basketball at Vandy. Um, and I started that, um, position in 2019, excuse me. So after I finished my, um, first year as full-time at Virginia Tech, you know, I came here and I was specifically with women's basketball. And now I kind of am a liaison between myself and the the athletic coaches, um, myself and nutrition, myself and academics. So I kind of like serve as the, the middle point person to make sure that all the things kind of flow in a smooth fashion for per each person in each department. Awesome. I think it's 
unique to see someone with your background, obviously success as an athlete, but having a, your master's, but also a PhD in education uh, related field. How does that apply to your coaching profession, your role? And, you know, how do you think higher education has benefited you as a coach? Sure. Um, I know that when I began my master's journey and my PhD journey, um, one thing that, you know, I had to look at it was like, how is this going to help me? You know, you know, how is this master's degree, you know, when I am picking it, how is it going to help me be a better coach? So my master's degree was in health, human performance and recreation. And, you know, that's kind of a step up from physical education or kind of honing in more so like, how do you do that from a hands-on practical approach? When it comes to my PhD, a lot of times in research, your job as a, you know, a researcher is to find a gap, is to find a hole in what's there or find something that's missing or find something that you can potentially provide that isn't in research, that hasn't been done, that hasn't been seen before or explored. So when it comes to my research um, in instructional design, it basically went over the teaching pedagogies or the teaching practices and methods surrounding coaching. So what can I do as an instructor to facilitate the learning process for my learners or my students or my athletes in a more efficient way? So, you know, some people might say, well, we, everybody coaches all the time, but there are different things cognitively that from a cognitive standpoint that coaches can do to facilitate processes in the learner so that they can retain, um, regurgitate, and then transfer these skills to more advanced, um, some more advanced skills later on down the road. So for me, I felt like it was important because not only did I want to be a better coach, um, but I wanted to learn how to teach better. I've had coaches who, you know, knew the sport, knew exactly what they wanted me to do, but there was a, a lapse or a gap between what they were trying to tell me or what I was receiving. And at the end of the day, as coaches, it is our job to convey that message to them. Whatever tools we need, whatever methods we need, whatever job aids or technologies that we have in front of us or to use at our disposal, it's our job to make sure that we utilize those things to be effective teachers. So when it comes to, you know, the importance, I mean, for me, it's, it's another tool in my bag. You know, it's, it's something else that I know that I've, you know, looked into my research. I've, did, I've looked through different theories and learning practices and methodologies from a learning science standpoint to say, hey, this works. But it hasn't been done in the realm of psychomotor skill learning in athletics. So that's kind of where I took my research. Um, I was able to you know, talk to subject matter experts in not only instructional design, but in sports performance to say, hey, these are the tools, these are the steps, this is what happens in the brain, this is what happens in the body, this is where the correlation can occur, and then hopefully be, provide a tool for coaches, uh, for instructors to use moving forward um, to facilitate learning in the, in the best way that they can as it relates to sport. That's awesome. I, you know, a lot of times in college sport, we separate the curriculum and education side of things from the sports side. And we think of them as separate, but athletes are learners on the court and athletes are learners in the classroom. And there's a lot that can go back and forth in terms of how, what are the best practices in terms of teaching and, and learning. And, um, you know, there's a lot out there right now about external cueing and uh, keying in on relationships with athletes for productive gains in the weight room, you know, what are some of the methods you key in on 
in working with your athletes? Maybe this speaks to your coaching philosophy and just the process that you carry out on a daily basis. Yeah, so a lot of things that um, from my standpoint that I've, able, I've been able to kind of implement and I think are, are key, um, especially with my population right now, they will be considered, quote unquote, a novice learner. They'll be considered, you know, folks with a young training age. So you have to treat them in a way that you would treat them, you know, a novice learner in the classroom. So what are the different things that I know that I need to do and say to convey certain things and certain cues to my players right now. Um, one, th one of the things that I kind of lead with or start with is emphasis on you know, external cues or external feedback. So things that are outside of their body. Um, for example, if it's like a vertical jump, I might say, hey, you know, try to get your head to the ceiling or hey, pop up or hey, do something to where in their head, they're thinking externally, what can I do to express what I'm saying as opposed to all right when you you know squeeze your hips or squeeze your butt or triple extension in the ankle like things like that they're as a novice they're not thinking about they probably don't know how to associate the two because at the end of the day they're trying to get the outcome so the outcome is for them to jump as high as you can I'm going to say all right try to explode up I try to use descriptive words in terms like that explosiveness pop up power through things like that where they can associate the name with the action also all right get your head to the ceiling all right try to get as tall as you can you know things like that where they can kind of put two and two together and you know from the research like i said from a novice learner internal cues are too advanced or too minuscule in terms for them to comprehend at that level you know if i'm dealing with someone who's you know been training for 10 20 years i can say all right on the squat you really want to think about this particular intricacy of the movement. All right, try to think about rotating your femur externally as you're like coming up and squat. Okay, now I know where my femur is. Now I know what it feels like to grip and turn the floor. Now that I know what the, but for a novice, those are things that just, I, from my perspective and from the research, it'll kind of just go over their heads. Um, so yes, I think coaching cues are important. What you say is important, how you say it, how often you say it. What's the timing of it? Am I gonna say it on every single rep or I'm gonna say it every other rep or every three reps? Um, how do I put it in to where the practice schedule is gonna be efficient? So if we're working on our clean technique, how often am I gonna jump back and remind you of what a power shrug is? Or how often am I gonna remind you of where your bar path goes? You know, So am I gonna drill that in? Am I gonna build you up to it? Personally, what I've been able to do is have some form of variation in the warm up of movement. So if I'm doing a, a power clean from the floor, all right, the power clean from the floor is the end result. Before we actually get to that movement, we'll have a bar warm up where we'll go over muscle clean, you know, sending your elbows through, knowing what that feels like, going through a hang snatch, I mean, excuse me, a hang, hang clean with just the bar, knowing what that feels like to punch our hands through getting through a front squat and knowing that feels like to receive the position. So those different steps leading up to the main movement are constantly being reminded, even if that day it's just, you know, the full clean. So just figuring out different ways to schedule it in, um, practice schedule from a block standpoint. So are we breaking it down and building it up or is it going to be arbitrary? You can also do that as well using external cues, those are just kind of the biggest, the biggest takeaways that I've been using from my, you know, 18 to 21 year old athletes. 
That's interesting. I, you know, I like that there's a planning component. There's an instructional component. And as coaches, we need to plan for that instructional component that we have for our athletes uh, that day to maximize the effectiveness of our, of our coaching voice, of what we're communicating. Like you said, I think that's really good uh, advice. At the highest level, you were an individual sport athlete. You work with a team sport now. You know, are there differences in how coaches should approach working with an individual sport athlete versus athletes in a team setting? Um, speak to that from, from your own experience. I think there's just a different drive. I think another thing too, I think with track and field, it's easy to see the direct correlation, right? So I can absolutely throw for a week, train for a week and see what my numbers look like, see how far my distance is. I can lift for a week, sprint for a week, and I can time my sprints. You know, I, it's directly correlated to where I can see tangible as evidence of what that looks like. And I think that can also stand true for, you know, swimming. It's like, all right, this is where we are. This is my, my mileage. This is my length. This is how I felt at the end of it. This is my, you know, it's a little different when it comes to that aspect of individual sport. When it comes to team sport, we're just, you know, we're out here hooping, you know, we're out here playing football. So I think one is really important to understand the buy-in as to why we're doing what we're doing. So I have to sell it. I have to be like, hey, you know, you want to play for a long time. You want to be in a stance. You want to make sure that, you know, you're not getting pushed off the block. You want to make sure that you're able to finish, you know, drives to the basket. What does that look like? You can't just show up and do that. So this is why we do this. This is how we do this. This is why this is important. Um, so from, I think, an athlete standpoint, they need to see why we're doing what we're doing and how it's going to help them. Because, I mean, to be fair, up until this point, they've been relatively successful as to why they've been able to come basketball in college and maybe they haven't had training to this caliber so I'm like all right look at your high school self and now look at the level of SEC competitors that we have now like certain women women now not girls certain women now you're gonna have to be able to hold your own against you know so um oftentimes I, I think I I prefer kind of small group settings with my teams because I think it kind of helps me hone them in a little bit um, I think in an individual sport standpoint, I, I can go either way. I really can go either way. It kind of just depends. Um, what I've been able to learn is that with, with basketball, I think they like that individual attention. Maybe they don't necessarily see it on the floor so they can get in the weight room. That's just maybe an idea of why they might like it. But I think I seem to get more out of them that way initially. Once I kind of build the culture, once I can understand why we're doing what we're doing, why it's important, then I could probably put them more in a team setting so they can kind of feed off each other. But um, I think it really just depends it depends on the sport um, and the buy-in. So I, I honestly don't necessarily have a preference. Yeah. My goal at the end of the day is to make sure that they're getting the most out of their training session and they can, you know, maximize their athletic potential. I think the big takeaway I heard was, you know, keying in on the individual motivation of the athlete. Uh, when you spoke to your athletic experience, uh, you related that to teammates and being on a team, even though it was an individual sport. Mm -hmm. But even, you know, from a team standpoint, breaking it down into smaller groups and more manageable work sessions to be more targeted in your approach um, it can go either way. So I think that's a really great outlook on that. And it's just maybe something we don't discuss or think about a lot, but something that we uh, put in practice a good amount in this field. Uh, mm -hmm. 
you know, I want to ask you just about our field in general, you know, what are some areas that you feel we do really well as a strength and conditioning field? And also what are some areas that maybe we fall a little bit short? I think that our field is very, we have a very unique mix of art and like science. You know, we have a very unique mix of being able to be creative, but also be grounded in something that, you know, is based in, in numbers and percentages and loads and all those things. And it's our job to figure out, you know, the best way to convey what we need and to get the most out of our athletes using all the information that we have. Um, I love that, you know, we have the education, we have the certifications to basically key on, on various sports and provide them with the training that they need. So we're not necessarily pigeonholed into being like, hey, yeah, I'm a strength coach, but I'm only a basketball strength coach. Or, hey, I'm, you know, a football coach, but I'm only a football. Like, you can do all the things because we, as strength coaches, you know, are skilled to do those things. I love the fact that, you know, there are private sector jobs, that there are collegiate jobs, high school jobs now are coming out, military training, you know, professional. And I think there's a lot of avenues and areas in which we can express and we can perform our job. Um, I think that's that's growing and I, I, I love to see that. And it kind of also bleeds over into things that I think that we kind of need a little bit of work on, you know? I think for the things that we do, I think as a whole, and I'm not talking about the outliers, I don't know how much we are necessarily fairly compensated for what we what we do all the time. I mean, to have a salary range from, you know, as low as they can get, as high as they can get, I think, you know, it can put a lot of people out, you know? And when it comes to, you know, cost of living and just lifestyle and then being able to support yourself and your family, you know, I, I wish that there was a way for us to feel safer and feel protected and feel that, hey, at the drop of a dime, I'm not just gonna be out and I have to figure out you know, what's next, whatever that looks like. I, I haven't quite figured out the science or how exactly how I want to fix that part of strength and conditioning yet. But, you know, I want to feel like, you know, I'm going into a profession that cares about me too. You know, I want to feel like, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not just giving hours and hours and traveling, traveling, all my energy and effort. And then at the drop of a dime, boop, you're done. You know, I want to feel that whether that be support from a, either an organization or a university that, hey, we're going to make sure we do your due diligence before something else happens, you know, and that could be echoed to other areas in, in coaching. But I think there is some quote unquote level of feeling disposable that we have that I, I know I don't just feel that. And I know that it's something that I think would not only help people stay in and feel longer, you know, so we don't experience max out or experience these feelings of like, you know, well, we are gone and they're just going to hire somebody else. You know, we, we're, we're valuable. We know what we're doing. We're actually a crucial part of every program. I mean, if anything, I see my players more than my actual coaches see my players. And I know that's the case at, mo at, at most programs. So treat us that way. Treat us like that we are that important. Show us that we are, that we matter like that. Because, I mean, I, I believe that we do. We, we pour our heart and soul into this profession. We want to feel valued in our roles at our institutions. Uh, there is a lot of uncertainty in our field. And uh, I'll, be, I'll be very honest that, you know, I wouldn't have had the opportunities I had uh, 
if if there wasn't a little bit of luck involved you know mm -hmm. i um i have a i have a good friend that you know in my time in one organization in professional baseball he had about five or six different positions and stops and jobs and challenges along the way and there's and and when people face those sort of challenges again and again uh, it leads to a lot of attrition in our field and, uh, yeah, the, the salaries, I, I think no one, no one gets into this field for, for the money. Um, it is nice to see some of those outliers when they get blasted out there in USA today, but, um, that's not the reality for most of us. And I think it's, uh, I think that, I think it's important to think about that. I think it's important to strategize how we can navigate that for ourselves uh, to give ourselves the best opportunities towards career advancement, but also think ahead in terms of what the field's going to look like um, a long ways away, but even just in the next few years, you know, and, and that's a, that's a question I ask a lot of the guests on this, on this podcast, you know, a little bit of a projection, you know, yeah. there's been so much advancement uh, in this profession over the years. Uh, what do you see on the horizon? What do you see coming in the next five, 10 years that coaches should be aware of? You know, that's, that is a good question. And I'm hopefully I, you know, I'll be, a, I foresee myself being around to see it in five, 10 years, a relatively young coach. Um, but uh, I've kind of, I've started to see a lot of, I guess, merging in terms of your value. So and that's another reason why I, I felt that it was necessary, one, for me to pursue all the levels of education that I have, because as the field is so saturated, I needed to make sure and figure out that, figure out a way to still be, you know, hireable, employable, attractive to people. So, yes, I have every, you know, education possible. Yes, I've competed at every level possible. And now what so now i have to try to make sure i have all my certifications so make sure i have something in nutrition try to explore something in sports science try to make sure that every area surrounding strength and conditioning i've been able to touch or i've been able to be involved in i've been able to contribute to in some way shape or form so i think in the next 5 10 you know we're not just looking at strength and conditioning coaches we're looking at performance coaches that have degrees that have strength conditioning that have um, nutrition that have sports science background that have some level of could be counseling or some sport like like mental counseling or performance counseling in, in my opinion because I think we're trying to make sure we stay relevant to the times and all those things are relevant and they're going to continue to be relevant moving forward so I think we're going to start to be a hybrid um, in the best way we can I think it's not to take away from sports scientists specifically or nutritionists, you know, specifically, but I think that having something in each thing is going to make you, you know, make you valuable or keep you valuable because, you know, if that's the case, then they're going to have to hire, you know, a strength coach and they're going to have to hire a nutritionist and they're going to have to hire a sports science person. And if you're able to have all those three and now it's like, oh, this is really attractive. We have this one person who can do all these things. I think more people are going to have to do those things to be employable. So, and it, it kind of just kind of goes through even the beginning of, you know, strength and conditioning before it was a certification. And then it started to be, you know, then after becoming a certification, it was a degree. And then after the degree, it's like, all right, now you have to have your master's degree to be quote unquote employable. So I think as the time goes on, the requirements start to elevate. 
And I think that's only going to continue with the, yeah. with the, in my opinion. And I see that through an education lens too, is we mm -hmm. keep expanding our skill set in that kind of pushes us to the envelope of our scope of practice in a way we're right. extremely dedicated to this profession and our athletes and we want to make them better uh, there's an immense need to collaborate with our trainers and our dietitians and all the all the uh, personnel on the performance team but to do that effectively we have to have knowledge in all those areas or at least some some knowledge in those areas Mm -hmm. And that is progressing rapidly. I know on the sports science side, uh, this is a conversation uh, I have a lot. You know, lately we're developing a new sports science certification with the NSCA. What is that going to mean for strength and conditioning coaches? And I think it really is going to, for coaches, provide another viable career opportunity beyond just pursuing that head strength coach role for that for analytical minded strength coaches out there that uh, want to pursue that path. I think it's going to be a very valuable skill set to be able to do that. And uh, that's what it's all about. Just bettering yourself. You spoke to education, maximizing, uh, maximizing your education, certifications, all the different knowledge areas that, that you can work with. And uh, yeah, I think that's a, I think it's a great outlook and it speaks to the professional landscape of the field, where we're headed. I know the NSCA is working towards accreditation of the CSCS, similar to other allied health professions like uh, athletic training and in physical therapy with accredited education programs. And that's going to be a change for, for the NSCA, for um, strength and conditioning professionals in terms of our preparation and education. And I think it uh, really does speak to that, that progression of education, of advancement. Every five, 10 years, we should be better. We should know more. We should have more areas that we're digging from. And I think that is a really positive message. Want to uh, give our listeners an opportunity uh, if they want to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Sure, um, let's see, I guess social media plugs would be the best. Um, let's see. I am on Instagram. That's Allison V Randall. That's on Instagram. And I want to say that's the same on Twitter as well. Don't tweet as much as I should, I guess. That's another thing that I feel like we, should, that as coaches, <laughs> we should probably start working on just from, you know, a holistic standpoint, but same tag on um, Twitter and also my email address. Um, you can reach out to me via email. That'll be Allison Randall, the number two at gmail.com. Um, and, you know, shoot me a line, shoot me anything. We can chat, we can, you know, set up a call or anything like that. But I mean, I'm really open to most any, any, any conversation, um, whether it's related to instruction, whether it's related to coaching, whether it's related to life. I mean, I'm also learning a lot, you know, any connections that I can make would be great. Um, but, you know, I'm really just an open book and, and I just appreciate, first off, you know, you having me and just having the opportunity to just, you know, speak on a couple of things as it relates to the field. And, you know, I think it's just, it's just, it's just all great stuff, Eric. I just really appreciate you. Well, thank you. Uh, we we're really happy to have you on um, personally, just great getting to know you, hearing your story, hearing your voice and just what you, uh, what you're bringing currently in your, in your role and just the path you, you took to get there. Um, that's what this podcast is all about. Just the, the stories of coaches and in the, the paths we take to get where we're at 
and we can learn from that. There's value in that. And um, yeah, really appreciate you spending the, spending the time with us. Absolutely. Absolutely. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in today. We'd also like to thank Soranex Exercise Equipment. We appreciate their support. From the NSCA, thank you for listening to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. We serve you, the coaching community. So follow, subscribe, and download for future episodes. We look forward to connecting with you again soon and hope you'll join us at an upcoming NSCA event or in one of our special interest groups. For more information, go to nsca.com. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.